The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. All right, I'm excited to share with you guys a little bit from Fearless Parenting, the book today. And I actually went and recorded this on Audible a couple of weeks ago in the studio, and it's about five hours worth of content, and I'm packing it into about 45 minutes this morning. So just know that anything I talk about today, I'm not going to be able to give you the full depth of it, but if you get the book, if you're interested, intrigued, the rest is in the book, all right? I'm not even going to scratch the surface this morning, but I am excited, and I want you to know in here today that if you are not a parent, this message still applies to you, or maybe you are a parent, but your kids are grown and you're on the grandparenting side of things, that this message applies to you. I believe that no matter where you're at, whatever season you find yourself in, that God wants to speak to you today, maybe about a fear you're dealing with in another area of your life. The other thing I know is that if you're not a parent yet, but you plan on being one someday, that it's so great to get a hold of this revelation right now before you have kids. And the other thing I know is that the grandparents in this room, your kids who are now raising kids of their own or will be soon, They need you to get a revelation of this so that you can come alongside them as grandparents and support them and help them to raise godly kids in this ungodly world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray before we get started. Lord, I just come before you today thankful, thankful that you want to encounter your people this morning. You want to speak to us right where we're at I pray, God, that you would help the the soil of our hearts to be fertile this morning and that the seed, the incorruptible seed of the word of God would get planted into that fertile soil and that we would be diligent to water that seed and that we'd watch it grow and produce fruit in our lives for generations to come, Lord. I ask you to help me to be a vessel this morning. Bring new wine out of me this morning. Bring new fire, new power out of me this morning for your people. God, we love you, and we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I started kindergarten in 1990, and uh, things have changed a lot over the last 29 years. Who in here would consider yourself an 80s kid, 90s kid? Let me see you 80s kids, 90s kids. You know that things are a lot different than they were when we were growing up. In fact, look at this. This is how we used to unfriend people, right here. How many of you have a, have a, have a yearbook somewhere, your parents' attic, it's got some people's faces crossed out of it like this, right? Hey, what about this one? This is how we used to YouTube. Bob Saget uh, on our fuzzy TVs, our bubble TVs. What else we got here? This is our summer. This was our summer. Nobody knows. If you can't see, those are little like uh, water balloon remnants right there. The kids today, they don't know the struggle. They don't know how satisfying it was to actually get a water balloon. The process, the amount of work and time and effort it went to filling up water balloons. They have those inventions now that are like the greatest summer invention of all time. You can fill up like 3,000 water balloons in a second. It's amazing. This was our device. I love this. Ten-year-olds now run around with iPhones. When I was 10, I was listening to Aqua and struggling to keep my Tamagotchi alive. (laughs) Truth right there. This was our camera. No selfie mode, no filters. I remember like going to Walgreens with my parents and hoping that my mom would spring for the like one hour 
photo processing. And if not, we'd have to come back in a week and see if any of our pictures were worth keeping. And I don't know about you, but I kept all of them. Even the ones, like boxes are just full of terrible quality pictures. We kept them all. This was the internet struggle. And this was the face of everybody that lived in my household from 2001 to 2003 while Pastor Josh and I were dating because I was either tying up the phone while I was chatting on the internet with him or I was tying up the internet while I was chatting on the phone with him. So everybody hated me back in that time. And then this, this is our our technology, our our most prized piece of tech. Nine-year-old is happy when offered the latest iPhone. Me at nine-year-old, I was happy to have this pin. Totally true. And then our Friday night. This was our Friday night. Man, kids today, they'll never know how how great it was to go pick up a brown bag special from Sonic, right? Split it with your little brother. Go rent a video game. Go rent a movie. In our case, it was super video, right? And, uh, and, And then if they wouldn't take you to Blockbuster, there was always TGIF, right? Urkel. Step-by-step, dinosaurs, they were going to come through for you on Friday night, consistently there for your entertainment pleasure. And then this is how we texted. I don't know why, but I saved every note that was ever passed to me in all of my middle school, high school career, and my parents have boxes of these things up in the attic. So things are different. You know, we had Toys R Us. We had Blockbuster. We had McDonald's with those outside playgrounds with the hamburger jails that you could go inside and the McDonald's land shortbread cookies. Like, why don't those exist anymore, right? Those were so good. A lot has changed. We, my parents used to have to beg us to come inside before dinner got cold. And now it's like, kids, for the love, go outside and play. Be a kid, scrape your knee, ride your bike. Okay, go get dirty outside. So a lot has changed, but it's not just fashion trends. It's not just technology. There's some, some more things that have changed since we were growing up. Uh, curriculums in schools are redefining the family. Kids are killing themselves at an all-time high. Kids are killing kids in school shootings. That wasn't happening when I was in school, but now it's one of those things that we're almost desensitized to because it's happening so frequently. We've got iPads and iPhones and social media and cyber bullies and body shaming, all of these things which correlate to the increasing amount of depression that we're seeing in our young people and teenagers. Gender confusion is trending. It's like a trendy thing parents are doing, letting their kids decide at the age of three when, if, and how they want to identify as a gender. These are the kind of kids your kids are going to school with. 13-year-olds are having abortions 90%, 90% of eight to 16 year olds have seen pornography and the internet has become the leading sex educator in our country. This is real life. Like this is the culture in which we were chosen to raise kids in, which is why when it was time for me to send my six year old, yes, six, I kept him home an extra year with me. When it was time to send my six year old to kindergarten, this Jesus-loving, innocent little boy that I had spent the last six years of my life pouring into, and it was time to send him to kindergarten. I was gripped with fear. I knew I wasn't called to homeschool, and I wanted to send him to Christian school, kind of. I had my thoughts about Christian school, but I kind of wanted to, maybe would have, but it wasn't in the budget. So now here we were, sending this little boy, my, my firstborn, into the big, bad public school system, and I was scared. 
I was trying to distract myself with things like back to school shopping. I was trying to make myself excited, monogramming his little Star Wars backpack with his name on it, his little lunchbox. But that didn't seem to keep the fear at bay. I just kept thinking, man, this world that we live in, I'm about to shove my kid into that and there's no turning back. Maybe that's you in here today. You're dealing with some type of fear when it comes to raising your kids. I think as parents, that's one of our most common fears, whether we express it verbally or not, we're just afraid of raising kids in this world. Maybe they're going into middle school this year and it's like a whole different ball of wax. You, the things that you hear that middle, schools are, middle schoolers are talking about and participating in and that your kids are around these kids or maybe they just got their license and you're afraid of, you know, just for their protection, their safety, you're losing sleep at night, wondering if they're gonna be okay in their cars. Maybe you just gave them a cell phone and you think you, you know, you went through all the things you're supposed to, to go through, you know, put the filters, put the parental blocks on, but you just hope you did everything right so they don't get exposed to something you don't want them exposed to. Or maybe it's just a general overall fear of, I hope I don't mess this kid up. And so you parent from this place of fear. A few weeks before that first day of kindergarten for Gus, God showed me something in scripture that totally freed me from that fear and it allowed me to send him to school that day in faith instead of in fear. He introduced me to this lady in scripture, this Bible hero, this woman who would become my Bible best friend that I would look to, admire, see the way that she parented her kids and decided that I would be like her, that I wouldn't raise my kids making fear-based decisions, but I would make faith-based decisions when it, come, when it came to all three of our kids. I want to show you her gender reveal, invite you to her gender reveal party in Exodus chapter two. We're going to read about that. But before we do, I need to kind of set this tone for you. I, I want to let you know uh, how this all begins, okay? So we're going to go to Exodus 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to walk you through this. Exodus begins with a death. Joseph, the Bible hero, the coat of many colors, he was sold into slavery. He became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, okay? He is now dead. He's passed away. All his brothers, that whole generation, the Pharaoh that he worked for at the time, he's passed away. But because of Joseph's great success in office, it caused all of God's people, the Israelites, to migrate from Canaan over to Egypt. And they settled there in Egypt, and they began to grow in number. Look at this on the screens, Exodus 1, 6 and 7. The children of Israel kept on reproducing. They were very prolific, a population explosion in their own right, and the land was filled with them. The new Pharaoh did not like this. It was causing him to lose sleep at night. All these Israelites everywhere. In verse nine and 10, it says, this is the Pharaoh. Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and we're stronger and they're stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from our country. So Pharaoh gathers all of his advisors together. I want you to kind of imagine this, this scene with me, this brainstorming meeting of all these fearful leaders. They're trying to think of a way to halt the population growth in Israel. So he says, here, get out the dry erase board. He gives some dude with great penmanship, which would be Josh Romano on our team, give him the dry erase board, and he's gonna write these different things, just throw out ideas. Just come on, let's brainstorm together. And so they begin to throw out horrible idea after horrible idea, pros list, cons list. And then finally, the idea that ends up circled on the dry erase board is make the Israelites our slaves. So they come up with some steps. Step one, 
We're gonna appoint brutal slave drivers over these people. And step two, we're gonna wear them down with crushing labor. And the goal in all of this is hopefully these guys are gonna be too worn out and uh, too broken down to want to engage in sex, right? Boom, population growth halted. We'll just work them to death. But this plan actually backfired. They kept having more and more children, the Hebrew people. And here's my theory. My theory is that as these Hebrew men were doing this backbreaking labor, they're swinging that sledgehammer, they're lifting these heavy stones, that they were getting pretty cut. Like, they were ripped. Like, like they looked good. And the Hebrew women, they couldn't keep their hands off of them, and so they're having the great, greatest sex of their life. They're in great shape, and the plan has backfired. There are Israelite babies everywhere, Hebrew babies everywhere. And so the Pharaoh goes back to the drawing board, back, meets back with his team of fearful advisors. Let's think of another plan. This one isn't working. How can we stop the growth but not annihilate our workforce? So the plan they land on this time is kill all male Hebrew babies. Kill all male Hebrew babies. The first plan was to order the Hebrew midwives to kill any baby boys born to a Hebrew woman. But the Hebrew midwives did not participate because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. The next plan was to call to action the entire Egyptian people, to put the onus on them to say, cut out the middle woman and let's just do this ourselves. So here, was, here is what Pharaoh told his people. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, the Nile River, but you shall let every daughter live. Now this may seem hard for us to wrap our minds around like nobody would do that, right? but you have to understand that hatred of strangers, it was a characteristic of the Egyptians. And that hatred of strangers would cause them to carry out this insane and, and horrific command of the Pharaoh. It's estimated, if you look at the birth rate of the Hebrews back then, that about 100 male baby boys were being born a day. 100 baby boys being thrown into the river a day. 700 baby boys a week being murdered. And they weren't afraid that those bodies would decay and that the air would be filled with this putrid, unbearable odor of death because the Nile River was infested with crocodiles. And the crocodiles would eat those babies' corpses before they had a chance to decay. So this is where this gender reveal party begins. Joseph is dead. Freedom is dead. The people are slaves. Sin is the norm. It's backed by the government, endorsed by the government. What a horrible time to be raising Hebrew children. But this is where Jochebed, this is where she comes in to this picture. She's a Hebrew mama and she is raising a 10-year-old daughter named Miriam. She's raising a three-year-old son named Aaron and she's pregnant with her third child. Now you know that every time she felt that baby kick, that she would wish and she would hope and she would pray, God, let this baby be a girl. There were no uh, glossy black and white ultrasound photographs back then. There was no ultrasound gel, no anatomy scans. She would have to wait until the delivery day to find out whether the baby she was carrying would be a boy or a girl. Now, most moms at 40 weeks, you know, you're nearing that 40-week mark. You will do anything to try to get that baby to come out. But I imagine Jochebed never wanted her water to break. Nevertheless, the time came. Miriam calls in the midwife. 
Jochebed is there sucking on ice chips. Amram, the father, is pacing back and forth. Contractions are growing stronger and more intense, and they're more frequent. As Jochebed cries out in pain, Aaron, the little three-year-old, is in the other room worried about his mom. The mood in that room, very serious. Jochebed not wanting to push because she knows that the next sentence that she hears could be a death sentence. So with her eyes closed and her jaw clenched, she gives one final push. The midwife catches the baby and whispers with tears in her eyes, it's a boy. I'm sure those gender-revealing words crushed Jochebed. I imagine the mood in that room was much like the mood in the room when we delivered our son stillborn at 20 weeks. There's no joy. There's no exclamations of celebration because this baby that this mom had been in love with since the moment she conceived is now going to have to be thrown into a Nile and eaten by crocodiles. How does a mom, a family, how do they wrap their mind around something like that? But this is not how Jochebed's gender reveal day ended. She took one look at that baby and she decided she would not let Pharaoh write his story. Exodus 2.2 says, because she saw that he was a special baby, she quickly conceived a plan. She kept him hidden for three months. Let's stop right here. If you're taking notes, write this down. I've got three of these for you this morning. Three fearless parenting mindsets. The first one is fearless parents know that their kids are special. She saw that her kid was special. This baby was special. That word special means beautiful, goodly, fine, attractive. Now, I don't think that's saying much because every mom, when their newborn comes out, even though they're all like squished up and they've got that little white like covering over them and they're not very special looking, we think that they're special looking. I don't believe that this baby looked different than any other baby born during that time. It wasn't his outward appearance. I believe that Jochebed could see destiny within this child. She knew as she held him and looked at him that God had a plan for his life, that God had a destiny for him, and that she would do anything to help him fulfill that plan that God had for him. I believe every Hebrew baby boy born during that time, that God had a plan for them, that they were special, that they were called and chosen by God to do something great, but blinded by fear, The other parents couldn't see it. They didn't stand up and fight, and they allowed their children's light to be snuffed out before their time. Listen, I'm here to remind you this morning that your kids are special. Do you know they're special? Do you know that your kids, that God has a plan for their life, and that you as a parent, you have a a role to play to help them fulfill the plan that God has for their life. I don't care what the circumstances looked like surrounding the conception of your children. Maybe you were never planning on being a mom. Maybe it was a one night stand and you conceived this baby. Maybe it was from an ex. Maybe it, it's the, the mom isn't in the picture anymore. The dad isn't in the picture anymore. Maybe it seemed so unplanned to you, but I want you to know that it was planned by God, that God had always had a plan for your child or for you, if that's you in this room. You've heard people talk about how you weren't planned. God knew you were coming and he has a plan for you and you are special. We need to see our kids as special. Jochebed, she whipped out a dry erase board of her own that day. She began to think of how she could keep her son alive and the idea that she landed on was to hide the baby. So she hid him 
successfully for three months. And I imagine it was pretty easy at first because if a newborn is fed and they have a dry diaper and they are swaddled, they sleep all the time. But as the baby got older and it started to coo and blow bubbles and it started to pull back that curtain that he was supposed to be hiding under, Jochebed was like, okay, we need a new plan. So look at this with me in verse three. And I want you to see this with fresh eyes this morning. I want you to see this and know that Jochebed is not some mythical character, some make-believe lady. This is a real woman with emotions, with feelings. She's just like us. She is a human, a real-life human. It says, when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch without any YouTube DIY tutorials. She just did this. She put the baby in the basket, her three-month-old, her, her flesh and blood. She put him in the basket. She laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. I literally can't imagine doing this. When I was 18, Josh got me a puppy, a little Boston Terrier named Nora. Rest in peace, Nora. She was the cutest puppy you've ever seen. And I bonded with her all weekend and then on Monday, I had to put this little dog in her crate and go to work. And I kid you not, I cried. I wept all the way to the office that morning over leaving a little puppy in a safe crate. But Jochebed is leaving her son, a living baby, her flesh and blood, this special baby that she knew God had a purpose for. She's leaving him in this basket near a river that's infested with crocodiles, knowing that if a crocodile doesn't get to this baby, that the Egyptians will have no problem coming along, kicking that basket, and watching that baby drown. She must have been terrified, right? Wrong. This is the verse that changed it all for me. Hebrews eleven twenty three, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid. She wasn't afraid of the king's edict by faith and she was not afraid. Listen, you don't get mentioned in the Hebrews 11 hall of faith as the saints call it without, with, with run-of-the-mill kind of faith. You don't get listed besides David and Abraham and Sarah and Gideon for just sort of trusting in God. You don't raise a son who also gets named in that hall of faith without having extraordinary faith yourself. Jochebed possessed a heroic measure of faith. And before you count yourself out and say, I, I can't have that kind of faith, the Bible says you have all the faith you need. Every decision that Jochebed made after the birth of her son was a faith-based decision. She decided to hide him in faith. She decided to float him in faith. She decided to disobey the Pharaoh's command in faith. Pharaoh, on the other hand, this contrast between Jochebed and Pharaoh, he was riddled with fear, and every decision that he made was a fear-based decision. He was afraid of a culture he didn't understand. He was afraid that these people were gonna outnumber his people. He was afraid they were gonna join forces and fight against him. He was afraid of losing his workforce. And isn't it so interesting that everything that Pharaoh feared, it came upon him at the hands of this Hebrew baby whose mom was making faith-based decisions. Jochebed's three children they led the Israelites out of captivity 
and they led the Egyptians to their watery grave in the Red Sea. This is a beautiful picture of how faith overcomes fear every single time. You know the rest of the story. Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby in the basket, and of course, Miriam, the big sister, the miniature mother, she's right there watching over her brother. The Pharaoh, the princess, she falls in love with this baby, and Miriam says, hey, let me find a Hebrew to nurse this baby for you, and the, the princess agrees. And because Jochebed stepped out in faith, God followed in favor, and she was able to nurse her child and get paid to nurse her child. And I believe that as she was nursing him and as he was growing up in her home, that she took advantage of every opportunity to teach him about the God of his forefathers, to teach him that he had a purpose, that he was special, that God had plans for him. We know now that our core beliefs are formed during the first six years of our existence. Jochebed would not waste that window. And when the baby grew up, no longer needed to be nursed, she delivered him to the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. And the Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses. Think about how influential Jochebed was in the lives of her three children. She raised the greatest uh, leader, one of the greatest leaders in Bible history in Moses. She raised the first high priest in Aaron. And she raised the first worship leader and woman prophet in Miriam. What a legacy. And after studying her, my Bible best friend, after studying Jochebed, I decided I wanted to take up her mantle, that I wanted to be a mom like Jochebed, that I wanted to see purpose and destiny, God-given destiny in my kids from a young age, and I would be the mom who was not afraid of the culture. God is calling you to be this kind of parent this morning. Second, fearless parents know that sheltering their kids is not the answer. If you're taking notes, write that down. Fearless parents know that sheltering their kids is not the answer. The world that we're living in today, the statistics that we just read about, it's a scary place, right? It's an ungodly world. And because it's an ungodly world, sometimes our focus gets off in parenting. And we think that we need to just focus on how to shelter our kids and keep them from being exposed to all of the evil in the world. You know, I've seen parents take this to extremes where they don't let their teenagers get jobs because they don't want them to be exposed to the real world or they won't let their kids watch anything that doesn't involve a singing tom tomato or a singing cucumber because they don't want to have to explain the themes of that show or talk to them about what's right and wrong. They'll just shelter them from everything, hide them away from the world. That's their strategy. But what parents like that fail to realize is that if your family got stranded on a desert island where there was no secular media, there was no Post Malone, there were no drugs, there was no alcohol, there were no PG-13 rated movies, there were no friends with bad influences who are being raised in ungodly households. None of that existed. Guess what? Sin would still find your kids. And if you haven't taught them to guard their heart, and if you haven't taught them to love the Lord with all their heart, their soul, and their strength, then they're going to get hurt. If our goal as parents is to isolate our kids from darkness that permeates this country, we will fail them. We can't fight darkness by retreating from it, by hiding from it, by sheltering our kids from it. We fight darkness with light. That has to be our focus. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Jesus said, 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So instead of asking how we can protect and shelter our kids from darkness, we need to be asking how can we help our kids love and trust Jesus? Because the verse didn't say, Jesus didn't say those who are homeschooled will not walk in darkness. It didn't say those who attend Christian school will not walk in darkness. It doesn't say those who don't have an iPhone will not walk in darkness or have Facebook will not walk in darkness, who aren't allowed to date will not walk in darkness. It says those who follow Jesus will not walk in darkness. So we've got to get our focus on the right thing. We all know what the culture of the world looks like. Everybody knows this is an ungodly world, but what does the culture of your home look like? That's the question you need to be focused on. What does the culture of your home look like? As parents, it is our job to create a Jesus culture in our homes. It is our job to make the throne of God approachable, to make Jesus irresistible, so that our kids, in their own free will, they willingly want to follow after the Jesus that's being presented in our home consistently. What does the culture of your home look like? Listen, if you think bringing your kids here to church once a week is gonna establish a Jesus culture in your home, it's time for a wake-up call. Like, it's great that you brought them to church. We're glad you're here, and they're learning amazing things back there. They're getting a foundation but once a week at church is not enough for them to get to know Jesus as their closest friend. You have to create that culture in your homes. You can learn more about how to create that culture in the book. Next, fearless parents are serious about their craft. They're serious about their craft. Matthew 1, or sorry, Psalm 127, four through five. This is Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. He says this about children. Children born to a young man are like arrows. So in this analogy, your children are arrows. They're like arrows in a warrior's hand. So in this analogy, you are a warrior. Your kids are the arrows, you're the warrior, they're in your hands. Now when Solomon wrote this, arrows were common. They were a part of everyday life. Every household would have had an arrow in it. It's not such a, a common thing anymore. I, don't, I guess there's probably not very many of you that have arrows in your house. I've never even held a real arrow. Yes, they're trendy, right? You can go see arrows at Hobby Lobby. They've been trending on Etsy for like the last three years, but I'm not talking about decor. I'm talking about arrows in the hand of a warrior, a weapon. Look at this with me on the screen. It says they were common in civil and military life. Arrows, remember, that's your kids, in the hand of a skilled warrior, that's you. They were not just any weapons, but the weapon of choice. The bow and arrow outperformed the javelin, the spear, the axe, and every other weapon available in biblical times and looked exquisite doing so. The type of bow and arrow warriors used required first-rate craftsmanship. That's a lost art in today's world, especially in the parenting world. This required first-rate craftsmanship and could not be produced in mass quantities. This should clue us into something. If we want to raise the kind of arrows that can outclass any weapon formed against them, entitlement, selfie-obsessed culture, bad friends, bad attitudes, if we want to raise the kind of arrows that can outclass any weapon formed against them, then we have to become masters at our craft. Great parenting requires first-rate craftsmanship. It's not an assembly line mentality that we, we, uh, we substitute or we make the trade-off where it's all about efficiency and cost-effectiveness instead of quality. 
If we wanna create quality arrows, we have to abandon the assembly line mentality, which says we're just gonna push these kids from station to station and, and hit all the right marks in life and hope that they turn out okay. Parenting is not a turnkey operation. I think a lot of parents think that if we just give them ample opportunity, if we enroll them in great schools, if we show up to church a couple times a month, if we have dinner together as a family three times a week and we pray before that meal, that we are guaranteed to raise quality arrows, to craft quality arrows, but that is not the case. We have to be intentional with our parents. We have to become master craftsmen. And in order to understand how to create these quality arrows, then it's important for us to understand the makeup of an arrow. How does, a ma- how does an arrow work? What are the main parts of an arrow? What are the main parts of our kids? We're gonna look at these side by side so that we can become masters at our parenting craft. Okay, so an arrow was made up of three main parts, the arrowhead, then the body of the arrow, and then the feathers on the arrow. Our kids are made up of three parts, just like we're made up of three parts. They have a mind, a body, and a spirit, and we have to learn to nurture each of these. We have to learn to be intentional about pouring into our kids in these, each of these arrow, or each of these areas. Okay, so the first part that I wanna talk about is the arrowhead, okay? The arrowhead on an arrow belonging to a warrior, it had to be made of the hardest possible metal, flint, bone, uh, and it had to be sharpened often. If it wasn't sharpened, then it was dull, it was useless, it needed to be sharpened. So if our kids are like arrows, then the arrowheads represent their minds. And it's our job as parents to be sharpening the minds of our kids. What does that look like? Is that just making sure they go to a good school, hiring a tutor if they struggle, helping them with homework? No, it's much more than that. I believe that in order to sharpen our kids' minds, we have to be talking to them about God, the Word of God, the things of God. Every time you talk to your kids about the word of God, you are sharpening their minds. You are sharpening their arrowheads. You are helping them step into their God-given destiny to be transformed into the image of Jesus. If you want kids who make a difference in this world, you have to teach them to think differently. You have to teach them to process things through the word of God. A lot of parents today are teaching their kids to process things through their feelings. How did that make you feel? Oh, you feel like being a boy today? Okay, you can be a boy today. Listen, asking your kids how did that make you feel is not a bad question as long as it's followed up with this question. Okay, now what does God's word say about that? We have to teach our kids to process things through the word. We have to help them lay a firm foundation because all other, everything else is sinking sand. We have to talk to them about God's word. So what does that look like in our homes? You know, I think sometimes we have this unrealistic expectation of what discipling our kids should look like. For some reason, when I think of this, I think dad's got to be playing an acoustic guitar and it's around a fire and you get together once a week and the kids can't wait to learn about God's word with you. But maybe you're doing that in your home and if so, good for you. But for the rest of us, that ain't happening, right? Josh doesn't even know how to play the guitar. Uh, And so... Because we have this unrealistic expectation and it doesn't happen, then we abandon it and we just kind of give up and we're like, oh, hopefully Mr. Kent covers this in Boomtown this weekend. We have to take a different approach. I'll show you the approach that I love. It's scriptural in Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 20. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. First of all, we gotta start there. Are you parents committed wholeheartedly 
to the word of God. Are you just feeding yourself here on Sunday mornings? We have to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to the word of God. It starts with you. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Here it comes. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I love this model of discipleship. This is discipleship on the go. This is Jesus weaved into every aspect of your lives. This is Jesus being a very natural and a very organic part, a very organic conversation in your home. We talk to our kids about Jesus every day, and it's not because we plan it. We don't, but it always comes up because in our house, Jesus is the answer to every problem. And in our house, Jesus is the reason for every celebration. So we're always gonna bring things back to him. He is our world. So it makes making him the center of our home very easy, very natural, very organic. Listen, parents, and you don't have to be pastors to do this with your kids. In fact, Gus, the other day, our 11-year-old, he was like, hey, mom, I'm so glad that you and dad are pastors because you helped teach me about the word of God and you helped me understand things about scripture. And I was like, hey, hold on just a second, buddy. If I wasn't a pastor, if dad wasn't a pastor, if he worked for UPS and, and I worked for Madewell, you know, then I could get a really great discount. That would be awesome. But, <laughs> but even if we weren't pastors, just so you know, this would still be a huge priority in our home. We would be going out of our way like we do to teach you about God's word. This would be a common subject, conversation in our home. You don't have to be pastors to be able to pour into your kids. Talk to them about what God is showing you on the way to school. Read scripture together. Explain things for them. Give them bite-sized revelation of what God is revealing to you. Every time you talk about the word of God, you are sharpening their arrowheads. Next, the next part of the arrow is the body or the shaft of the arrow. It's a narrow, straight part of the body. It's typically made of wood or reed. It was the structural element of the arrow, and it was a part of the arrow that the arrowhead was fastened to. So if the arrowhead represents our mind, uh, then the body of the arrow represents our kids' physical bodies. I think this is one of those areas that we forget about when we're raising our kids. Like we fail to nurture and teach them that their bodies serve a purpose. Paul said to his first letter in the Corinthians, it says, the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. We have to teach kids that everything from their head, their shoulders, their knees, their toes, everything in between that it's used. Our bodies are used to bring glory to God. Our bodies are the vehicles that God is using to move throughout this earth. Think about the body of an arrow. You never see like a loop in it. And if the body of the arrow is curved, that arrow is not going to fly straight. The arrow, the body has to be straight. And so I love this, this instruction and this promise that's found in Hebrews 12. It says, so take a new grip with your tired hands. How many know that parenting can be tiring? Today, I hope you take a new grip. Take a new grip with those tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. And then look at this. This is an instruction for us. Mark out a straight, because the body of an arrow has to be straight. Mark out a straight path for your feet, for your body, so that those who are weak, who's the weakest in your home? Your kids. So that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. What an instruction. 
what a promise. That if we will determine and mark out a straight path for our bodies, and we're thinking of this path that we're walking, are our eyes watching things that are bringing glory to God? Are our ears listening to things that are bringing glory to God? Is the words that we're speaking out of our mouth, are they bringing glory to God? Is the way that we serve with our hands bringing glory to God? Is the way that the places we go with our feet, are they bringing glory to God? Do your kids know that their body is not their own, that is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, if you don't value your body, if your kid's seeing you not taking care of yourself, you know, obviously there's the drinking, there's the, there's the smoking, drugs, things like that, take care of your body, but what about the food that you eat? Are you exercising? Are you taking care? Does your body bring glory to God? You have to mark out a straight path for your body so that the weak in your family do not fall, but they come along and you've already marked this path and you've helped them to see how we honor God with our bodies. Lastly, the last part of the arrow, the piece that ties it all together is the feather, the tail. And in biblical times, that tail of the arrow was made from feathers, from eagles, vultures, sea fowl, and these feathers, they help to stabilize the arrow while it's in flight, and they help to promote accuracy. So if the arrowhead represents our kids' minds, and the body of an arrow represents their physical bodies, then the arrow, or the feathers on the arrow represent their spirits. Spirit, soul, and body. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. You get a brand new spirit when you come to know Christ. A new spirit. You don't get a new mind, which is why we have to sharpen their minds. You don't get a new body, which is why we have to teach them that their bodies are, are, do serve a purpose to bring glory to God. But they get a brand new spirit. The moment they become saved, the moment they confess that Jesus is Lord, the moment that they believe in their heart that he is king of kings and lord of lords, they get a brand new spirit. Whether that's at Sunday school, whether that's in Boomtown, whether that's at church camp, whether that's in your living room, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. So they get this new spirit and they start this journey. But sadly, a lot of kids, they, they start the journey, but they don't know how to walk it out. They don't understand that Yes, they have a flesh, but they also have this new spirit that has complete and total access to God. This new spirit that wants to help them live out the Christian life. They get older and their flesh starts to pull them in one direction and they don't know how to be led by the spirit because people aren't talking to them about it. Parents aren't talking to them about it. Parents think, oh, again, like Mr. Kent will cover that. Listen, you need to be talking to your kids about the dichotomy between the flesh and the spirit. That yes, they have a flesh, but there's a spirit of God alive in them if they've been born again. And that spirit is the one that wants to lead them and help them to do what God wants them and is asking them to do. You don't have to have a degree in biblical studies to be able to teach your kids about this. But you do need to be talking to them about the Holy Spirit and about their new born again spirit and the significance of that. Think about that, parents. Are you talking to your kids? I know they can get it. I know as little as five years old, they can understand. Their flesh wants to do this, but their spirit is strong, and they can be led by that spirit. I love what Jackie Hill Perry says about this. She, she says, in a body without the spirit, sin is an unshakable king under whose dominion no man can flee. I would say in a body, not just without the spirit, but in a body who doesn't understand the spirit 
Sin is an unshakable king under whose dominion no man can flee. But when the Spirit of God takes back the body that he created for himself, he sets it free from the pathetic master that once held it captive and releases it into the marvelous light of its Savior. It is then able to not only want God. That's where most kids are. They want God. They're able to want God. I want you, God. I want to live eternally with you, God. But when the spirit comes into the picture, they're not only able to want God, but they're actually able to obey God. And they're actually able to obey their parents. And isn't that what freedom is supposed to be? The ability to not do as I please, but the power to do what is pleasing. Your kids need to know that within them is this brand new born again spirit that God wants to infuse with the Holy Spirit. And then they have the power to do what is pleasing. Your kids need to understand and grasp this. Matthew 3 tells us that after Jesus was baptized, a dove came and settled on him. That represented the Holy Spirit. A dove is a feathered animal. Remember the feathers on an arrow were there to help it stabilize, help to promote accuracy. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to come and settle on your kids. He wants to help them be stable as they fly out. He wants to help promote accuracy so that they can hit the target that God has for them every day. But his hands are tied if we're not talking to them, if they don't understand, if we're waiting for them to grow up and get this revelation, the spirit can't help them do what is pleasing to God. We have to be nurturing their spirits. If we don't want our arrows to return in vain, as, as parents, as warrior parents, we have to sharpen our kids' minds. We have to carve out straight paths for ourselves to walk in. And we have to teach them about the Holy Spirit and that he wants to lead them with accuracy. And as we do all of these things, we have to trust. We have to trust God because we're not always going to see the fruit. In fact, this morning at our house was one of those days where it was just like, really? Really, God, I'm getting up to teach about parenting this morning? And my kids are never like, this terrible on a Sunday. They were terrible this morning. I'm driving to church being like, oh, maybe I should, we should show that video message you preached a couple, or you did, recorded a couple, the backup message. So sometimes you won't see the fruit. And in those cases, we just have to trust God. First Thessalonians 5.23 says says this about our God. The God, we trust the God who makes everything holy and whole and who put you and your children together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ, the one who called you mom and dad, the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today? Holy Spirit, show us maybe where we've got our focus off. Reveal to us the fear-based decisions that we've been making. Help us to step into a new level of faith when it comes to raising our kids. God, help us to take up that mantle of Jochebed this morning. Help us to create a culture in our homes where Jesus is irresistible and attractive and the throne of God is approachable. Help us, God, give us boldness for those of us who are thinking it's too late. My kids are past that six year window. Help us to know that if we will just have faith that nothing is impossible and it's not too late. 
show us how to make conversation with our kids about the Word of God a regular thing in our homes. God, help us to commit wholeheartedly. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today and uh, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. You're ready to surrender your way of doing things. You want to do things his way. You want that spirit, that empowering spirit to come and help you do what is pleasing. You're tired of the struggle. If that's you, in just a moment, we're all gonna say a prayer. And I want you to know that in this prayer, it's not just lip service, that it's not just a ritual, an empty ritual, but something actually supernaturally significant is going to take place. You say this, and by faith, through grace, you're going to become a new creation in Christ. So if that's you and you want to start a relationship with God, say this with us. Everybody say this with me. Say, Jesus, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart that you are Lord. I want you. I need you. I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Thank you for making me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you guys would look up here for just a second, actually go ahead and stand up to your feet. Altar ministry team, you guys can come down. If you're here and you prayed that prayer for the very first time, we are so excited for you. And we have a book that we'd like to put in your hands to help you walk out your salvation, to help you know what you need to do next. This is a a very exciting and new thing and you're kind of going, okay, I'm safe, but now what? This book will help answer your questions. I wanna invite you to come to Next Steps tonight where you can find out what your next steps should be as you make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And then if you're here and you have a prayer need of any kind, maybe you are dealing with fear about your kids, maybe you're dealing with some rebellion in your kids, whatever it is, maybe you're dealing with sickness, stress, anxiety, if it matters to you, it matters to God, and these people would love to partner with you in prayer. So as we go back into this last worship song, I want to invite you to come to the altar to receive prayer and partner with these people. Holy Spirit, I pray you would draw every person that has a prayer need to you and to the altars this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.